0: Captain's Log, Stardate 73567.6 It would seem now is a time of great celebration as Commander Lisa and I find ourselves ordered to Deep Space Nine at the request of Vedic Kira for what promises to be a time of reunion for some and fond farewells for others. This episode of These are the Voyages is dedicated to Being together. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of These Are the Voyages. I'm the captain, I'm Captain Chase McKinney, and today we are on the USS Vigilant. Um, as we go and check out Terok Nor's, we check out some stuff that we might have left behind at Deep Space Nine. <laughs> and um, I am joined by uh, someone from Starfleet Security, uh, Commander hey. Lisa. So, Lisa, welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you for having me back, Chase. It's good to be here. Or w- what's your rank? I feel like I should say your rank correctly.
0: Captain, but it's, it's no big deal. It's whatever.
1: <laughs> That's a big deal, Captain Chase McKinney. Or, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: hey, we don't have to get too formal. we can just be Captain Chase. Okay. That's cool.
1: Captain Chase. Yeah, I was like, do I need to include the last name? Is that the right <laughs> format? I should know this. Okay.
0: Well, well, well. It is what it is.
1: <laughs> I'm very professional, as totally, you can tell. Totally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, the last time that we were hanging out together um, on the show, we were talking about... Um, Deep Space Nine, of all things. Yeah. And uh, we had a chance just to that. That episode was more or less just, um, you know, survey information, kind of talking about the show, things that you liked, maybe some things you didn't like, and everything in between, for the most part. So, um, since the last time we recorded, have you stopped liking Deep Space Nine?
1: You know, I've done a um, a self check, and so far, still love the show. So, still a big fan.
0: Well that's encouraging.
1: <laughs> I use my tricorder and everything. I found signs of excitement whenever I see Deep Space Nine. So
0: Awesome. Awesome. So you know before we start talking about um, content you know with with what we're gonna be talking about we're gonna be talking about the the Deep Space Nine documentary What We Left Behind um, and like I said before we really get into that what's been what's been going on with you? I've been hearing some some cool things about what you do with your podcast you went to um uh what was it like an Ernie Kovacs award ceremony or something like that recently
1: yeah yeah um uh gosh it feels so long ago even though I think that was only like a month or two ago yeah I saw um I went and saw the Ernie Kovacs award which is a yearly um, comedy award in, you know, Ernie Kovacs's name. And if you guys want more info on that, you can Google that or check out the episode. But, um, this year it was Monty Python's own John Cleese that won. So he was here in Dallas. And basically, it's just they have him come up. They talk a lot about Ernie Kovacs and what the award means and then why it's being presented to, uh, you know, the person that's been nominated that year. And it's actually, like, a lot of fun. And to me, what's interesting about it is it's only, like, $25 usually. And a lot of times, it wasn't the case with John Cleese because he's such a huge star. But a lot of times, you get access to these people that you would never get because you see them... They talk for a long time. Mm -hmm. It's very casual and conversational after the award um, was handed over. And then a lot of times you get to meet them afterwards, too. So it's a really cool event. And uh, it was a pretty big crowd this year. A lot of people dressed like different Monty Python characters and stuff as well. It was great. I took my dad, who introduced me to Monty Python. So it was really special to have him there and my husband, too. So it was a good night
0: awesome yeah i was i was listening to that episode of your podcast um i try and keep up as much as oh the holy grail yes yeah (laughs) Yeah, i when when i saw that in your group that you were going to be doing that episode next or or you know producing it next or whatever it was i felt like a fanboy whenever you announced that i was just i was so (laughs) excited whenever i saw that um i i want to say like the first time i saw monty python the holy grail it was back in Gosh, like middle school or high school. So like a, yeah, at yeah, le- sounds about right. A, at least a decade and a half, almost two decades ago, when I saw it. Mm-hmm. And you know, just you know, misquoting that movie all over the place was great. You know, like people do it <laughs> all the time. And then I had a best friend in my neighborhood, and uh, we didn't have coconuts, but we'd have like you know plastic cups or styrofoam cups, or if we didn't have that, we'd just clap. And we would just walk around the neighborhood. Um, or through the woods, doing you know the coconut galloping thing. It was it was fantastic.
1: I love it. Yeah, I did a lot of similar things at that age. I think that's around the age that I was exposed to it as well, and have just always been a fan. So it was really fun. Yeah, yeah.
0: And and there was um, a guy from Monty Python recently that passed away. I'm forgetting his name right now.
1: Yeah, Terry Jones. There we go. Mm-hmm.
0: And I remember him. You know, watching Monty Python. And then, you know, growing up watching like the live action Casper.
1: um, Oh, yeah. I didn't
0: realize that was him. I mean, you don't make that connection Mm. whenever you're in the single digits. And, you know, you have.
1: Yeah, no, no kidding.
0: And it wasn't until fairly recently, probably within the last maybe five to ten years, perhaps, that I'm like, holy cow, that's the dude from Casper. He was in Monty Python. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) Man, interesting connections. I don't think I knew that
0: yeah it's wild like he played dibs in in the live-action casper which is anyway and he was i mean he was the comic relief for the movie of course apart from the three you know uncle ghosts or whatever stretch stretch <laughs> fatso and stinky i think were the ghost names but
1: it has been so long since i've seen that movie you're talking about the christina ricci one yes yeah okay okay with yeah.
0: uh with the president from uh, independence day
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Man, I think I just gave you an idea for another episode of your podcast. We should
1: totally do that movie. Yes. <laughs> I would love to.
0: Well, if, um, if, if you guys don't remember, Cats Out of the Bag, uh, Commander Lisa <laughs> has her own podcast. It's called I Love That Movie. And I encourage you folks to check it out. Um, you know, it's, it's a movie lover's podcast. And she does a great job, she's, she's very good at what she does as a podcast host. And I can't encourage you folks uh, enough to, to check her out and the content that she creates on a very regular basis. So make sure you check her out and we'll, we'll make sure that you have um, an opportunity to put in like a plug for like, you know, how to connect and and other opportunities to interact with your show and and stuff like that towards the end. So um, anyways, for, for real guys, like she's, she's great. She's awesome at what she does.
1: That's that's so nice, Jason. Again, the feeling is mutual. I love what you're doing with the show. I love the ranks that we get and when you talk about being on the ships and stuff. It's very immersive. It just as a star trek fan, as a Trekkie, it's it's really exciting, so I'm glad that you're doing this. I do not have the time to dedicate to a Star Trek podcast, so I'm just so happy anytime somebody <laughs> even mentions Star Trek, I want to run over there and jump and be on it. So, you know, appreciate you so much for having me back.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just wanted to talk about Star Trek and <laughs> you know, like there was um, I, I think I mentioned this in early on in this show whenever like the genesis of this of this project or whatever. You know, pe- I was I was um, guest hosting um, someone else's podcast at one point, just interviewing people uh, while this party was going on. And they're like, when are you going to start your own Star Trek podcast? I'm like, uh, never, because there's like <laughs> 300 of them. And like, I don't know what angle I'd go at. And then after racking my brain trying to figure out what to do, I'm like, let's just have fun talking Star Trek. That's like, let's leave the angles and the agenda out of it. And let's just have fun and just... Boldly go wherever together. I mean, that's that's really all it is. Yeah,
1: and I love that. And and you're so right. I mean, I I mean, I started a movie podcast. There's like a billion of those. You know, you just never know um, what's going to take off, what doesn't. And I've always approached it as like, you know, a lot of times people ask me exactly how many listeners do you have and how many hits are you getting every week. I do have a way to track that, but to be honest, I don't really track it daily. Um, To me, it's a hobby. Um, it's one that I spend a lot of time doing and really enjoy, but you gotta, you gotta kind of do it cause you love it. You know, I think when you're focused too much on numbers or being the quote unquote the best, which I feel like is impossible, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's like you lose sight of what you love. If you love Star Trek, just do a Star Trek podcast. And yeah. I think people can hear your enthusiasm. They feel it, uh. And and that's usually what brings an audience. I think is just authenticity, you know. So, um, I I'm I'm so glad that that you that you got the uh, got the courage to you know yeah. sit in that captain's chair and <laughs> <laughs> and engage. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> well done.
0: So so speaking of speaking of um, you know the audience for this podcast, you know we're we're certainly we certainly have some great listeners um, that tune in. Uh, on the regular and that are part of the group and stuff like that but something pretty exciting just recently happened you know by the time you've you guys are hearing this this will be pretty recent news um, but um, I don't know if you saw this Lisa but the um, the director of the first three episodes of Star Trek Picard uh, just recently um, answered a question um,
1: Ooh, how of, exciting of
0: mine that I put on her Twitter and I was like you know, inquiring minds need to know where is this Resican flute? Is it in the Picard playroom or is it at his <laughs> or is it at the chateau? And she replied directly back and she said, The Resican flute is at the chateau. So that was cool. Now
1: That's awesome.
0: Well, that's not the most awesome part, okay? So
1: it gets better, okay? It, it
0: gets it gets a heck of a lot better in my opinion. <laughs> so just Recently, I'm minding up my own business, preparing for, you know, this show and, you know, planning out, you know, future shows for, for this podcast. And I get a ding on the Instagram account for this podcast. And I see that there's a new follower, see a little follower icon. And I open it up and I about drop to the floor. The director, that same director of the first three episodes of Star Trek Picard is now following this podcast on Instagram.
1: Yay! That's so great. I'm so happy for you. That's really cool.
0: That is a that is a win for for all of us on this podcast. So heck yeah. So it's not just my victory. You know, it's it's all of <laughs> it's our, it's, shared. It is our, a shared victory for. You mm-hmm. know, that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make this inclusive for everyone. So uh, yeah,
1: I mean that's the Starfleet way, really. So yeah, you you're, you've got that mindset going. I love it.
0: So I mean. You know, Ms. Culpepper, if you're listening, we love what you're doing, and we, we ask that you keep it up, and the invitation, the door's always open for you to come on and be a guest of this podcast, so, you know, let us know when you want to make it so with us, that's all I got to say. <laughs> so, anyway, so I guess I, I keep on, you know, kicking the football or putting, or throwing the football down the field a little bit more. Which is kind of funny, because we were talking about how much we know nothing about football before the show, but...
1: (laughs) We know there's a ball involved, and kicking. It's
0: brown, I think.
1: (laughs) Yeah, laces, I think.
0: There might be. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you know, recently we've had um, Star Trek Picard, a brand new series, come out on CBS All Access, and um, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but... You know, we've done some reaction episodes where, you know, myself and uh, Commander Eric, we've we've kind of talked about it last uh, couple weeks and, you know, we're you know, there's a third episode that y'all will have the opportunity to listen to here pretty soon. But what have been, what's been your reaction or your reception to this new Picard series that's come out?
1: Well, I've only seen the first episode because I have to reactivate my CBS um, all access. Um, and I will do that because I need to keep seeing this. But um, I saw it for free the first episode on YouTube, which I think was a great idea. I love it when they do that. Um, but the first episode that I saw, I I loved. It's a really cool angle. You know, again, I, I've only seen one episode, but it seems like, from what I'm seeing, uh, there's some sort of board connection with uh, Picard and his connection with this girl that is also a twin and there were a bunch of twins and you know there's a lot of story that we have to get into about why androids were banned. They talked a little bit about that Um, but I felt like it was a lot of world building for one episode that didn't feel rushed to me. It felt... You know, like it made sense. It's building off stuff we already know. And I think that's a great angle to come from because, you know, I think they established that with um, TNG. First of all, the Borg were their most interesting adversaries of the whole show. I mean, they're just so interesting that they bled into Voyager. I mean, it's just, it's a great, they're great baddies. And so um, the fact that Locutus happened, and then he's reformed, I mean, that always leaves the door open for it's not all clear, you know, like, no matter how far he gets away from it. For sure. Um, I love that he's angry at Starfleet, and he's calling, calling him out on their um, inability to hold up their own, uh, you know, standards, um, and I, I love that, you know, because it, it gets us on his side automatically. If he's, you know, defending the principles of Starfleet, I mean, we're automatically gonna go, yeah, Exactly, Jean Luc Picard's right, you know, and so it's a really good way, I think, to draw in the audience and and get them on board. And um, I like the new characters that they've introduced thus far as well. Um, and there seems to be some weird uh, Battle Angel Alita stuff happening with the right. <laughs> with the young girl, and I loved it. I was like, "That's a great angle to go." And uh, I'm not mad when you know you introduce more action to Star Trek, even though I do. Like the character driven stuff, because I, I have faith that it's gonna remain character driven. So, yeah, those are my thoughts so far.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah, like the the Locutus thing and the Borg thing, we know there's gonna certainly be a connection. and I don't think I'm really spoiling anything because it's the first episode and we're now two weeks out from it, two, three weeks out from it having premiered. Um, and it's available for free on YouTube for a limited time. So you can you have no reason to not go watch it at this point but you know we're we're, we've noticed that with this first episode of picard how essential the viewing of uh the season two episode the measure of a man really is to this story so if if there's any newbies out there first off welcome we're so happy that you're here second if you're wanting to jump in just jump in. Don't worry about the, the stuff. Just enjoy it while you're, while it's out. And if you want to go back and watch it, great. But if you do want to watch something to kind of prep you, turn on season two, episode uh, something, The Measure of a Man. And it's mm. a fa- fantastic, fantastic episode of of The Next Generation. It's one of my okay. absolute favorites. So.
1: I bet I bet if I read the description, I'll remember it because I've, I've seen every episode. But... I need to do, like, a whole rewatch, I think. It's been so long.
0: Sure, and just a quick recap of The Measure of a Man. Um, This is where, um, more or less, they're trying to say that Data is property, that he's not a sentient being. Oh, okay. I do
1: remember that one. So he's
0: on trial, and Picard is defending him. Riker is the opponent, and there's this guy named Commander Bruce Maddox who's trying to you know, take data apart to figure out how he works so he can build more datas for Starfleet, basically.
1: Mm So, okay.
0: Very, very powerful episode. That's probably pretty essential to, to this show in general with Star Trek. Picard. So anyway, awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm, it sounds like you're enjoying it at this point. I'm certainly enjoying it. Um, Not every show is perfect. There are certainly some, you know, hiccups here and there, but for the most part it's a good show it feels like it's star trek Yeah, it's a breath of fresh Mm -hmm. air is what i was telling eric but um i could talk about picard all day long the the tv show but i won't (laughs) um so getting back to this you know we're we're actually further down the field now we're actually going to pick the football up and actually do something with it whatever they do with footballs and (laughs) (laughs) so um so, Deep Space Nine was um, a show that was on from '93 to '99, if I'm not mistaken. And that sounds right. And Deep Space Nine was—it's—I um, think it's been called a couple different names. Like it's been like the middle child, the black sheep, <laughs> the redheaded stepchild of Star Trek um, shows. Uh, would you say that's pretty accurate?
1: Yeah, Deep Sleep Nine. <laughs> I've uh, heard that before too. You know, (laughs) an abomination. Uh, Yeah, you know, it's different. Uh, It's different from all the other Star Treks. And I think that it had a lot of uh, what we're going to talk about actually today is just what they were up against. You know, coming off the heels of an incredibly popular show, The Next Generation, and then taking a hard left, which you think could work, but it didn't at the time. I think it was the wrong time for this show. I think this show would have done much better now. Um, but yeah, I think that that's a familiar sentiment. I defended the show constantly when I was younger. I started watching, I think, around season three or four is when I really got into it. Okay. So it had already been on TV and just fell in love with it. And then, you know, I back then you couldn't just pull up any episode you wanted to. So I had to either try to buy some VHS tapes or, um, you know, hope that it came back on TV so I could see it. Uh, but I was always defending it to everybody um, and almost no one I knew liked it. So it was just me.
0: So what you know, you're saying that you, you were defending this show to to people that you would interact with talking about Star Trek and stuff. What was it mm-hmm. that that you felt or maybe that you you noticed that you were defending the most about this particular show?
1: Uh, the fact that they don't go anywhere. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's called, you know, to boldly go where no man has gone before. And, uh, you know, that's not what happens on D Space Nine. They don't always physically go somewhere. And so a lot of people said about the show that, you know, they're not exploring space, um, which I would argue is you know, I don't think I had the language for this when I was younger, but you know, the journey they talk about in this documentary is really internal. Yes. And it's something that I think was not super valued in the nineties on television because, um, the show was episodic in nature and that just didn't really work. Uh, because you couldn't necessarily go back and watch everything in chronological order. Like, what if you miss a week? Then you're screwed. Um, and so nowadays, it's essential that, move, that shows be episodic. Almost no show doesn't follow that formula. That was like a double negative, but you know what I meant. No. Um, and, you know, I, I, I defended that about the show a lot. You know, why are they always staying on the space station? And then the other thing that I would defend a lot was the fact that the crew doesn't necessarily all get along. They were like, this show is negative. People don't like each other. Uh, People do bad things, you know, just a lot of gray. Sure. And I think uh, many times Starfleet has not been gray. I don't think Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry's vision was, had room for that. So,
0: well, but you know, go ahead, go ahead. You (laughs) know, Gene, Gene, you know, wanted to see the best in people. And in humanity in yeah. the future. So that's, I mean, that's part of the reason why, why when you look at, you know, Star Trek, like 1960s original Star Trek, you look at Next Generation and even 90s Star Trek, you know, with, with Deep Space Nine and Voyager, that it's very colorful. Mm-hmm. It's very colorful, like with the color palettes they're using for, you know, the uniforming, for the sets, for everything, the buttons, all that stuff. And yeah. And he wanted he wanted Star Trek to be a place where the future is bright. It's not gonna suck. Things are gonna get better. And, yeah. and that was I mean, that's what he was trying to do and why he didn't want there to be any conflict with the main folks. Um so, yeah. and that and that was some of the difficulty that the writers were having to deal with leading up to Deep Space Nine was like you couldn't write conflict or if you did, it was very minimal in nature with these characters and that you had to like have the alien, the monster of the week, basically um, be the source of the conflict. And then it kind of got flipped on its head with, with deep space nine where, okay, now Kira and uh commander captain Cisco can, can now dislike each other or get frustrated with each other. So mm-hmm. it was a very, it was a, it was a paradigm shift that we were seeing um, but it's still, despite the conflict that was happening, people still got along despite their differences.
1: Exactly, I was just about to say that that conflict doesn't necessarily have to be inherently negative. There can be so many different reasons why people have conflicting ideas, um, and I think this show explored that. You know, a lot of the Star Trek that we saw before this. Um, you know, a lot of them came from a similar background. There would maybe be one or two characters that, you know, like we had Spock, he's Vulcan, or Data, an android, but most people in Starfleet on the, you know, main cast, they're human, and they come from Earth, you know, and so they have a lot of shared, you know, common beliefs and ideas but what was different about ds9 is you had starfleet and then you had Bejor, and then you had cardassians and then you had you know the dominion and it was like it was really complicated um and you know how do people coexist and get along um and i like that i think that appealed to me even back then this idea that maybe we don't all agree but it is possible to find common ground even when things get heated even when there's conflict yeah um, to me, that was optimistic, but I, I can see and understand why not everybody feels that way. And, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. When you watch TNG and how much love the whole cast has for each other and the original series, I mean, there's just something really great about that. So, I, you know, I think this is just a different kind of show. Uh, but certainly I, I love, I love it all.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and like I was telling you the the first time that we were talking about Deep Space Nine, you know, I didn't like it at first. But now Deep Space Nine is in my top three of of Star Trek shows. So um, really, really enjoy it. Um, I haven't done um, a full watch through uh, recently, but I'm planning to. So that'll happen eventually. Yay. So... So with that, I mean, we could rehash Deep Space Nine all we want, but we're here to talk about a <laughs> documentary. So. Yes. There, um, the name of this documentary is called What We Left Behind, which is um, kind of a, a play on the name of the the series finale for Deep Space Nine called What You Leave Behind. And a very, very, very amazing episode. Very, It's a fantastic finale. Um, fantastic finale for a series. So what we leave behind looking back at star Trek, deep space nine is a documentary taking a retrospective look at deep space nine. It's influence, its meaning and its legacy, um, as a show. And, uh, this particular documentary was produced by, uh, let's see, Four Fifty Five films. It was directed by, um, Stephen bear and, um, uh, shout studios, um, who is a, is a company that, um, you know, produces and and releases other you know fandom type stuff, um, mm. such as I Know That Voice, which is another documentary about voice actors, which I love by the way. Um, they did a great job with this, and uh, I guess you know we can bounce around with this because there's a lot of there's different parts to this documentary, um, like such as assembling a writers' room to kind of break what a uh, what an eighth season of of Deep Space Nine would look like or you know interviews with the cast or reading angry letters from from critics and fans alike (laughs) Um, so so with that I mean we're here to talk about the documentary what overall what what about this documentary do you enjoy as a Trek fan
1: Well, I think it's really validating as a Trek fan because, you know, they just talk about in the show all the stuff that I loved so much about it, what I saw in it, and to hear Iris Stephen Bear, you know, just pouring out his heart and soul as to what this show meant to him and the cast and the writers and everyone just being so passionate about what they brought to the screen, it feels good. You know, it's like, I'm sure everybody that works on a project is passionate about it, but it's good to hear it. You know, it's good to hear that from them Mm -hmm. Um, because I loved it so deeply. And so I just really enjoyed hearing all their stories, um, how they dealt with the negative press, all the incredible things that they accomplished. I feel like on this show that were so ahead of its time. They really, you know, a lot of times you'll hear on online, if something risky or social justice oriented is done. People will say things like, oh, they're just trying to pander to people, blah, blah, blah. You know, this show tackled a lot of really tough subjects and they weren't pandering because it was actually hurting them. <laughs> Nobody was telling them to do this. In fact, they were telling them not to. Um, and so I think that's really cool that they stood up for their principles. You know, they they went ahead and did it anyway. They're like, you know what? This is a story we want to tell. And these are the people that we want to tell it with. And we're going to do that. And it's funny how that's caused the show to age so well. Because they were at the front of the line, so to speak. Um, so I think that's really cool too. And just... I actually put off watching this, to be honest, because I don't know how this is gonna sound to people, (laughs) but when I finished this show, it was an emotional last season for me. It was hard. It was like saying goodbye, and then that final episode was so sad to me, I didn't go back and revisit it. I was like, I just gonna step away from that. Um, And that is how connected I felt to the show. So, you know, here we are now. This comes out in 2018 and I kind of avoided it. I'm like, I don't know if I want to revisit all those emotions all over again. Mm. You know, I know it's going to be emotional because the show was kind of dark and people are passionate about it, but I have to say it was really enjoyable too. It was a good, you know, I had a good couple of teary moments, Um, but yeah, I mean, I just loved everything about it. To summarize, wow. wow. <laughs> so,
0: this show, I mean, this show had a profound impact on you, is what I'm hearing you say.
1: Yeah, it really did. And, and it's like, I don't know why. I mean, I guess I do, but it, it, it definitely hit me at a moment. I think this is where fandoms really started for me, where shows, books, you know, things could have a bigger impact than I thought they could, you know? Yeah. Something that's so familiar, I think, even in our pop culture. Uh, self-consciousness now but back then it's like when I felt this way people were just like are you okay but it's like I feel it's a little more socially acceptable now but yeah it was probably the first big thing that I got into
0: wow wow, yeah it's 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 amazing that these these characters that we we go on this journey with that we go on these voyages with you know week in week out for months and years maybe even decades in, in some instances, depending on the, the show or the movie, whatever it might be, just knowing that they're fictional characters, but to us, they are just, they are, they're real people. And
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only thing that I can really compare it to, I, I compare it all the time, actually, but it's like those Harry Potter books I felt that way about. You know, I read all seven books and at the end i was teary-eyed i'm like i have to say goodbye to my friends you know it's just great when characters stories and you know their personalities and everything about them are so fleshed out that you get to you get to experience that it's really fun you know
0: Mm. yeah yeah i think i don't know if i mentioned it before but like maybe a similar experience with like having such a powerful emotional reaction is from Doctor Who, like when David Tennant's 10th Doctor was regenerating. Like my wife cannot watch that that episode with me because I am a basket case. And I've seen that episode like, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times, but like it gives me such an emotional reaction. So although it's not Star Trek, I can certainly appreciate what you're saying and respect what you're saying about this emotional bond, this this mental emotional connection that you have with a show and with with the characters contained therein um, is very real it's very real and um anyway that's 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 wonderful it's awesome that um that deep space nine meant that much to you
1: yeah and i think i was saying a little bit on twitter that i think part of it was when i saw this they were just naturally some tough years you know junior high high school are tough years and my parents were both working really hard and very busy people um they were great parents but they were busy um which is normal but i found a lot of solace in diving into this little universe you know and um really appreciated it i'm also an only child in case you haven't heard me on the show before so it's like i had a lot of free time is what i'm saying well hey how about that and (laughs) it was filled with you know my my parents were like you know what this is fine because it's Good stuff, you know. It's not going to lead her down a dark path, so she can be as crazily into Star Trek as she wants. Um, it's it's and and it was good, yeah.
0: It's it's interesting that you say that. Oh, this is fine. It's not going to lead her down a dark path. This show is considered to be dark Trek. I know of all things. <laughs> but isn't
1: that perfect for a teenager? Like <laughs> in your darkest moment, quote unquote. Right.
0: Yeah. So okay. So going going through this documentary. Um, we we open it up to um, some folks singing, okay? And um, mm. I guess we'll just go ahead and talk about this in general. So the opening and closing, it's a bookend with singing. So yeah. we have um, the actors that played, uh, what was it? Damar, Quark, Weyun, and Rom, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Mm-hmm. You're right, yeah.
0: Um, that are, are all singing. Um, they're singing like, you know...
1: Lounge style, yeah,
0: lounge style show tunes, basically, mm-hmm. or just lounge style music. So, what was that? What did you think of that? With with the the with with it not being Vic Fontaine <laughs> opening it up, what did you <laughs> think of that?
1: So, I happen to know from going to so many different Star Trek conventions that uh, Max Grodenchik and the crew, this is something they do at conventions. They sing. They have a show. Um, and they're not the only actors that do this. I believe the the Dabu girl does it too. Chase Masterson. Um, that's right. Yeah. And um, you know, when I first heard about that little opening act, I was like, eh, I never paid for it. I never went and saw it. But when I saw it in the documentary, I was like, wow, they can really sing. Like this is entertaining, and I love that the way I love the way that they um, wove in you know, Star Trek into their songs. They're not bad, they're good. And I realized that maybe I was being a little bit, I don't know, like I was judging them without even hearing them sing. Um, because I think there's sort of a stigma with actors right like when they try something else like I'm gonna be a singer We're all like dramatic eye roll, but the reality is they're <laughs> entertainers, you know I mean, they're already in an art they're acting Is it really such a stretch that they would sing too, like or write or direct like none of that should be Off-limits or surprising so I-, I loved it. I was like, it's cool I get to see this because as I saw it. I thought I've missed out in the past. I should have got that ticket and maybe I will next time
0: yeah yeah and, and th- whenever I saw that so I, I didn't know that I wasn't aware of that and I think it's in like a quick just cut of like a scene or something somewhere in the documentary where you see them on stage at like an STLV singing and I'm like
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay or maybe I saw that somewhere <laughs> else and I, I didn't really think too much of it because like when I think of of lounge singing I think of Vic Fontaine right you know and and him doing all the Dino all the the, the old blue eyes Frank Sinatra stuff right and all the other Rat, sure. rat Pack style you know music of that era and it, it was just it was weird but it was it was okay at the same time like I didn't have any issues with it but <laughs> um, but yeah like I didn't know Cork could sing you know I didn't know Armand mm-hmm. Sherman could sing that was that was pretty cool
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it is just, again, like, so many things about this show are weirdly, like, so me now and probably because of the show. But I was also saying the other day, I think maybe the first time I heard lounge music was on Star Trek, which is super weird. But when you just think about, like, how young I was when I saw it, it's not like I was eagerly searching for the Rat Pack, you know, at 12 or 13. So... Yeah, I think this might have been, like, my first entry point into seeing that style of music at all. And to this day, still really love it and kind of forgot that I first saw it on Star Trek. It's wild. But now when I see it, I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is, like, all those things together. Like, earlier last year, Nick and I went on, our, um, on an anniversary trip to Vegas. And one of the, th- one of the things we did was we saw uh, a show called The Rat Pack is Back. And it was like an impersonation show of like, you know, Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin, um, and it w- it was really good. But it's like it's weird thinking, okay, my entry point to that is just so dramatically different from most people's. I'm sure.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's amazing to me how Star Trek, as as a franchise, not just like Deep Space Nine, but just the whole gamut of Star Trek, can inspire people to do so so many varied things you know like Mm -hmm. like with um, you know the characters of of Bones and Crusher right or even Bashir how that can inspire people to even Robert Ricardo is the EMH can inspire folks to go into the medical field
1: oh absolutely or or,
0: you know um, Marina Sertis you know character of, of Deanna Troy going into mental health like with psychology and counseling and social work and stuff like that and now here we are We have a young girl, you know, in junior high and high school, you know, introducing this appreciation for lounge
1: music. Yeah, so random. Like, (laughs) there may be something else to that. Like, I don't know if lounge covers were like popular at that time, or, but I mean, I had a James Darren CD, so I think I got it signed by him too. Hmm. So I mean, I, I was I was all in for sure.
0: Okay, and yeah, and Buble wasn't even around by then. I don't think.
1: No, I think we had like Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, you know, yeah. but yeah.
0: Man, man, oh man! I was, you know, it's, I was getting ready recently, um, and I was actually listening to some Frank Sinatra, listening to uh, the best is yet to come, and uh, what else was it? My way. So, anyway, <laughs> I blame you because you posted something in our in our Facebook group about that recent, not too long ago, about um, I think you, I think Vic Vic Fontaine was one of your uh, more favorite characters or more appreciated characters on Deep Absolutely,
1: yeah, yeah. And I was just saying, like, he introduced me to this style of music, yeah. definitely. So
0: well, there you go. So apart from this opening, where we see, you know, these these this cast of characters, we're 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 going like it's it's broken up into like different segments, right? So we see this animated teaser of like something going on with the character Nog played by the late Aaron Eisenberg mm-hmm. and kind of how that's going to lead into what could be a potential 8th season of Deep Space 9 and um I don't know like as they like I guess we can just focus on like this potential 8th season for just a moment so okay. they they were they were talking about these things on how Nog is going has something to share, and then that's going to bring them all back to Deep Space Nine somehow. And then it just evolves into that. So I realize probably not everyone has seen this, so we can maybe muddle our way through it. But what what do you think of this concept that they were coming up with for a potential eighth season of Deep Space Nine?
1: Um, you know, I thought some elements of it were a little clunky, but I mean, this is in a writer's room, it's not, like, a polished product. But it's sort of a getting the band back together, and I guess the idea is, like, filming it now. You know, not an eighth season right when it ended, but an eighth season now. Um, And that's, you know, for the first time ever, something like that is actually possible, right? You know, you've got, um, you know, Fuller House, and uh, Will & Grace, and all these shows sort of doing a new season... You know, so many years later. So it's something that could actually happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but it's something that could happen. And uh, I liked a lot of the ideas they were bouncing around for sure. The different roles that people were going to have, like Nana Visitor's character Kira being in charge of the uh, whole, you know, D Space Nine, but she's now a, what do they call him, a Kai Wen? Uh, Ka- a Ka- vet.
0: I think she was a Vedic because.
1: Vedic, okay. So, like,
0: I think the, and I don't know, you know, the the Roman Catholic, you know, clergy ranks or whatever it's called. So, apologies, no one hate-tweet me for not knowing that stuff. Um, (laughs) But it's my understanding that, like, I think it's, like, either bishops or cardinals are, like, Mm. like one step below Pope, I think. And then Pope is, like, the head of state for the Vatican, right? Which would more or less be... Like the Kai, like like what Kai Winn was in Deep Space Nine. Yeah,
1: that's what I was trying Yeah, Kai. Okay, yeah. But
0: yeah, so she'd be a Vedic, which I think would be like a cardinal. So it'd be like maybe one step below uh, the Pope, basically. Below the Kai. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I like that because she transitioned from essentially terrorist when we first meet her to religious leader which is interesting I like that you know um, she's sort of become peaceful it's like a samurai putting his sword down or something Um, I like it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and then like you see these interchanges in this animation as they're like breaking the story where at one point you have the Bajoran militia that's on Deep Space Nine and they're it looked like they're like attempting a takeover or something in this story concept and she pulls yeah. and she pulls like a disruptor or a phaser from one of the guys belts and she essentially chooses her friends so she turns her back on Bajor basically as as Vedic in that moment without it being really fleshed out and she once again joins you know her her friends or comrades that she had worked with 20 years prior
1: that's right, because they were going to use the Jem'Hadar, hadar, right?
0: Yeah, that, I think that's what Ronald yeah. Ronald D Moore or someone, maybe even it was Iris Steven Bear, where it was talking about how there was like this supposed conspiracy of you know her going to get the Jem'Hadar hadar and how the Jem'Hadar hadar are now going to be the the new Bajoran soldiers or something like that.
1: Yeah, and you've seen the show at that point with the Jem'Hadar, hadar, right?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, they're yeah, they're yeah. like they're the they're the foot shoulders, they're the foot clan of the friggin dominion man they're the muscle yeah
1: but in and worse than that they're they they're created and co and dependent on, on um, Ket- a drug
0: ketracel white yeah
1: yeah and so it's like the 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 morality of you know bajor using them it's like wow that's not okay that's her you know, cutoff point. She's like, uh, no, I'm out of here. <laughs> so she's, uh, I like, I like that, that that happened. Cause you could see that happening, you know, um, in that world. So I, I really liked that. I, I think I thought that was a nice touch,
0: you know? And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think didn't, didn't Dr. Bashir find a cure for the addiction to the dependence on ketrosol white in the show.
1: That sounds right. But then I didn't... I feel like in that episode they tried to cure him and he was too wired to be a certain way. And so even when they tried to cure him, it didn't pan out. Okay. I think that's what happened at the end, but I don't remember for sure.
0: Okay. If someone knows this, by all means, (laughs) send it in. You know, email, Twitter, Facebook group, whatever. Just send it in. Uh, Yeah, because
1: I feel like they were like, we can reform him. And then he was like... No, this is what I want, and he like goes back to them or something. Okay. But I can't remember for sure. Well somebody out there knows.
0: Well, if it didn't happen, which I wanna say it did happen, at least there was some contrived way to, to do it, but they didn't wanna give the the cure because it just would have enabled them to, you know, kick the button of of the Federation and you know, give have had more of an edge in the Dominion War. But if it mm. if it had been it's been tw- we're 20 years removed, give or take, from this series wrapping. So a lot can happen in 20 mm-hmm. years, just like we're finding out in the show Star Trek: Picard that a lot can happen in 20 years. People can change in two decades. So, sure, um, it's very possible that there that this change or whatever could have happened, and paradigm shifts could have also happened with the Gem Hadar leaving, you know, the Dominion as the muscle to now be the muscle. Of Bejor and this new, you know, Mecca, basically that is, you know, Deep Space Nine. So, yep. Wow, we just we we have barely started talking about this documentary. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't why don't you you know take the helm and just take us where you want to go next in talking about this documentary? Because there's I mean there's a lot to talk about, but I want to talk about what you want to talk about.
1: Oh, man, that's so much power. Uh, what do I do? Uh, well, I really liked hearing from, uh, all the actors about their characters and where they could go. I loved hearing specifically from the character that played, or the actor that played Garrick. What is Uh, his name?
0: Andy Robinson.
1: Okay, Andy Robinson. Um... He became slowly like one of my favorite characters on the show, too. The tailor. Mm -hmm. And he was just so interesting and so fun. I loved every time he did um, on this documentary. Like, I think he kind of opens it, right? He kind of has that big monologue.
0: Yes, and he sounds so... Like mysterious instant yes
1: i love him and so all the emphasis on him uh the the directions they wanted to take the character and maybe should have taken him i thought were fascinating and um i don't know i just liked i enjoyed him getting kind of a spotlight because i felt like on the show it's like they really should have focused on his character more but they didn't for whatever reason so getting to kind of like have that now was really fun for me yeah
0: And I don't know if you knew this, but um, he was the um, director of the Master of Fine Arts acting program at um, University of Southern California.
1: I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Uh, It makes sense. I mean, his acting is very, I don't know, it feels very like Shakespearean, you know, and it's really big and it's really... Dramatic, and I really like it. So that 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 is really cool. I like that. I did not know that.
0: I'm trying to f- find out where, or not where, but when it was. I want to say it was around the same time that he was portraying this character on Deep Space Nine. So
1: that makes sense because he didn't all, you know, he's he's not in every episode or anything.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think I think not only that, but Avery Brooks um, was also a professor at Rutgers, and I think mm. I think. He was teaching. Gosh, was it before and certainly after? I don't remember if he was like doing any teaching in between. That would probably be impossible, like with you know eighty-hour weeks that you're doing with acting, like per show or or whatever. But yeah, like
1: yeah, so, this was a demanding show.
0: <laughs> I mean, all of Star Trek. I mean, you're doing seven yeah. seasons. You're basically making a seven-season commitment, at, like from the get-go, pretty much. For at least right,
1: and the days are long, like like you're saying, like 16, 18 hour days. It's, mm-hmm. oof.
0: yeah. And we and we we heard about that in this particular documentary, where you know the cast would be doing, like you're saying, these 15, 16, 17, 18 hour days, and just being completely spent, man. And um, Wally Shawn, who we know as as Rex from Toy Story, right, and. <laughs> Not just Toy Story, but you know, Princess Bride, of course, as well. Inconceivable. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. He was in his full-on makeup as uh, the Grand Nagus, Grand Nagus Zek, and um, what do he you say? He's like, I've never done this before, but I fell asleep while they were filming me because I was so tired <laughs> from these long days. Did you catch that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. That, that, that's so funny. I love him so much. He's so. He just seems so sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I mean it's grueling and imagine like we're saying doing that for seven years it's gotta be such an emotional ride at that end when it's like okay this is over it's like I want it to be over but I don't because I'm just so invested um, yeah man the things those actors went through to portray those characters wow
0: for us <laughs> for yeah, us for yeah. Our amusement yeah <laughs> yeah, and then you know and that's the thing that I think um, what was it Um, Ira Stephen Bear was kind of talking about at one point is that actors they want to do a job because they want to be loved and liked and yeah and they weren't really getting like all these lovey-dovey feelings from the
1: fans at the time true very true that's rough I mean I guess to segue a little bit into something else I want to talk about but kind of along the same veins um, Avery Brooks as Captain Cisco, who I feel was really underappreciated at the time um, I don't know if you've heard I've, I've actually heard this before and then they talk about it in the documentary um, he was fresh off that show was it hot yes yeah and so you know on that show he's playing a character that's more you know down to earth um, but also a little bit of a not like a Criminal, but he's like on the streets, you know, and it's that kind of feel and So when he transitioned to this show He was actually told to grow his hair out and shave his goatee because they said it looked too quote-unquote urban Which I feel like now, you know in 2020 We kind of know that that's sort of coded language a little bit of like we want you to look less like you and more like how We want you to look more digestible so to speak And it's a real weird area because I can see how probably the people in charge at the time thought of it as like, well, we're asking you to get a bob haircut instead of long hair, or we're asking you to dye it red or something. But it does mean something different uh, for him, and it does mean something different for his culture. Um, and so they fought a few seasons until he finally got to have that look, and their fear was that he would come across as too intimidating and unapproachable, and it just seems so silly now, watching it, right? Like, how could- why did they think that? You know, it just seems ridiculous now. But back then, it was something that he was facing, and you know, there were just so many things about that character that meant so much to him. You know, he was an activist, I think- The other big thing I remember him for is American History X, Um, and it seems like he, in his career, chose things that he felt like were near and dear to his heart, and that's why he picked Cisco. and um, it was a really positive portrayal of a a black man in leadership, and also a father, Um, and his relationship with his son, I mean... I almost get, like, misty-eyed every time you see Jake Sisko on screen, too. Like, that was something that definitely stuck with me, even as a a young person watching it. Just seeing a captain and his connection to his family, I just really liked that. That was, like, a really sweet touch, I thought, of the show. Because he's this, like, you know, Captain Sisko wasn't really, like, your... He's not Jean-Luc Picard, and he's not... James T. Kirk. You know, he's so different from both those characters. And he is a little bit more reserved, quote-unquote distant. Um, But he's got a great backstory that makes you understand why. And it also, the show did a good job of portraying the fact that just because somebody has a personality like that doesn't mean that they aren't a loving father or a good friend or a great leader. And I, I love the way that they handled his character. I thought it was handled so well so when they dove into that on the documentary as well i I appreciated that too
0: absolutely yeah and you know i think um not i don't want to avoid the topic or the issue at all but like you know when it came to the hair thing um i can't remember if it was avery himself or if it was ira but whoever was was doing that narration and talking about the hair issue they were talking about maybe it was the former executive with paramount or something was talking about um, like having more making making him out to be more of an Uncle Tom uh, than being this yeah. this urban thing that you were you are talking about, and I'm reminded of what, uh, gosh, Gene Roddenberry was was saying to Patrick Stewart, and I'm and I'm not going to get the quote right or anything, and they originally wanted to put like a hairpiece like a toupee or whatever on Patrick for. You know um Captain Picard and you know Gene eventually said you know in the 24th century people aren't going to care about if you have hair or not. So why was it okay for Patrick Stewart to be bald but it wasn't okay for Avery Brooks to be bald?
1: You know when I hear stories like that too I often think th- this is something that happens on TV and it happens in movies. It's when like the bigger producers, the money steps in, you know, and they're making these decisions what they feel like from a financial standpoint, and they're not thinking it through. Um, and so I think that is what happened with him. Okay. Um, and, and it is inconsistent. I mean, you're right. Um, and, it, and I don't think they thought about how that decision would look later. You know, when we're looking back at it, we're noticing that that's not the same. Um, and so... Yeah, I think that that's what happens sometimes is like they they go along with what they think general audiences want. But they sometimes miss the mark and, you know, in this case could come across pretty, you know, offensive. Um, So I'm glad that he was able to win that war after three seasons. But yeah, it's like it's almost like in that first season, they don't want to do anything, quote unquote, wrong. But then sometimes it's like they're actually doing something wrong by being so overly, you know, policing the cast as to everything that they're doing yeah um, when it really ultimately does not matter i mean in the future yeah it's like we're not going to worry about all this stuff i mean look in the first star trek series they put a russian character on the show at a time where that was you know considered dicey so it's like this is just in the vein of the show just don't worry about that stuff you know so I think I think that was definitely a mistake they got rectified, but they did a lot of really cool stuff on the show too, um, addressing issues like that. So it's not like I'm coming down on the whole show or anything, but just something that I noticed. So yeah, thought about
0: it. Yeah and, yeah, and to your point, like with with the original run of Star Trek in the '60s, I mean the whole diversity with that with that decision was intentional because again. Yeah this isn't set in the 1960s, right? This is sent, or this is set in the 23rd century where people have put their differences behind him where, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you know, you don't listen to a black woman in like the 1960s and and Jean Roddenberry strategically made Nichelle Nichols character of Uhura, the communication officer for crying out loud. You know, you had, you had to talk to her to get anything done pretty much, you know, to contact, to be able to speak to other people for the most part that they would come in contact with and then you know like you were you are saying pavel chekhov's addition in, in season two of of star trek you know and yeah like this whole diversity thing and like the differences and how can we you know respect things is is inherent with what we're doing with star trek and as a show and how that translates to just real life in general and there was a particular moment that Um, Actually, there were a lot of moments in this documentary that I wasn't, you know, too keen on or not, not too keen on um, that I wasn't aware of. There we go. Better word. I wasn't aware of (laughs) not keen, aware of (laughs) people. (laughs) (laughs) And that that had to do with like the episode. I think it was um, sanctuary, like with all the homelessness thing and how that has really and truly seemed like it's become like very prophetic, very fortuitous of. You know what has happened now? Twenty years, twenty-ish years after that particular story has aired.
1: Yeah, that's just that. I, I am right with you. Same same thought process. Um, there were several issues that they tackled on the show that I was way too young to realize things were happening in real life that were echoing that. Um, and yeah, that the the issue of homelessness is something that. I actually kind of spend a lot of time thinking about talking about you know I I won't say working on because I'm I do I don't feel like I do anywhere near enough to to say that but it is an issue that I care about and it's one that affects all of us you know in real time and it really got me when they showed that clip of uh, Dr. Bashir asking all those questions like well how could they do this and how could they do that Or, uh, it might have been Cisco asking that, but one one of the characters said something like, well, they just didn't want to see him. They just wanted to push him aside, and that, whew, that struck a chord with me, especially because I feel like I live in an area where that's that's true, you know, if you compare where I live to, say, California, um, I do feel like we sort of hide the homelessness problem. Um, And yeah, wow. It's like, again, this this documentary, (laughs) it's like it brought up so many serious topics that, you know, a part of me was like, I don't know if I can go there today. And then I I was like, well, I gotta watch it because we're gonna talk about it. So um, (laughs) I'm glad that I did. You know, sometimes things that we don't want to revisit or think about, we we need to, you know, and they package it in such a way on the show that I, I, like I said, I didn't even notice when I watched it when I was younger, but um, I think they talked a, a couple times about getting feedback like, oh, you guys are beating us over the head with stuff. But I would say overall, they, they slowly introduced ideas in and um, made you think a little bit without it being, you know, quote-unquote exhausting. Mm-hmm. So I think they, they they struck a really nice balance. But yeah, they they named several things that happened on the show that I it didn't even occur to me. Mm-hmm. The fact that, you know, Kira Norris, her character... Um, not a visitor plays a character that, you know, I, I mentioned it once before, but is essentially a terrorist. And they were like, we did this pre 9 11. So post 9 11, probably couldn't have even had her as a main character. And I'm like, wow, that is, that's something to think about, right? Like, it's is it just, that
0: wild? That's so wild, it's isn't it?
1: weird. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't think of her that way. You know, I thought of her, I, I know that she did things that were, quote unquote, terrorism um this is probably going to flag me on the list now um but you know that that's not the way i identified her i thought of her as a freedom fighter as a warrior um as a complicated person with a difficult past and so it's like this idea that they were portraying a character that way with a lot of nuance and then the fact that after 9-11 happened they probably wouldn't even be able to um it just brings up all kinds of questions in my mind about like what are the ethics of that you know is that okay um wow I just you know I, I never noticed all this stuff when I when I watched it back then i I think I saw glimpses of what they were trying to talk about but certainly all these years later a, a lot of stuff is a lot clearer now you know
0: yeah and you know I lived in in basically downtown Dallas for about three years and then I lived you know just north of Dallas for about a year so I mean I was in basically the heart of Dallas for four years um, for, for a time and I couldn't go anywhere near my apartment without having a panhandler come up to me at like at a Seven Eleven while I was pumping gas um, asking for for money or a meal or something like that in fact I was like doing some of my early counseling training at a homeless shelter where I was counseling um, homeless people that were that were in this like resident program you know, trying to get back on their feet and stuff and then you know like you were talking about with with the character of kira how she's you know from one perspective she's a freedom fighter but from someone else's perspective on the other hand she's seen as a terrorist and and i think it was in the show that they or in, the, in the documentary that they were talking about this this dichotomy of that right where you know george washington to americans is seen as this hero, you know, a founding father, this noble person, or, or whatever descriptors you want to assign to him, right? But to the British, I mean, he was a terrorist. So it's it's all about like how you see and how you hold these people and whatever esteem that you do that's going to color your experience of them. And right. And um, so the show went off the air in 1999. So this was two years before. The attack, uh, you know, on New York with the the twin towers and and stuff happened, you know, in September of two thousand one. So you're, they probably wouldn't have been able to get away with some of these stories. But you know, I, I'm reminded of a different show that that Eric and I talk about, or at least we allude to from time to time, and that's the show Twenty Four. Like when Twenty Four came out in two thousand one, right? It came out the fall of two thousand one, if I'm not mistaken, originally, and one of the first ones was going to be a plane. Like I think that one of the original scenes was going to be a plane flying into a building and that was supposed to air before, before the nine 11 attacks. And, And they couldn't air that they chose not to air that. And I think they changed, changed the pilot or some of the episodes as a result of that. So it's, it's very interesting how this stuff has developed and how it's not only affected, um, how we view characters, how we view these things such as homelessness, such as you know, perspectives of you know being a freedom fighter or being a terrorist, but how it's also colored our media and our experiences of media as a result.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you said that it reminds me of like, you know, uh, another great example would be on the Matrix. Uh, you know, they walk in and fire these guns and then Columbine happened. And it's like it's weird sometimes life, real life, you know completely changes how you view certain things how you view certain scenes so you know it's de- it's definitely not just this show but yeah it's like i think you know this i keep saying the show had a lot of shades of gray where you had to look at things from different people's perspectives and ha- you have to make your own personal moral judgment and the show isn't necessarily making one for you and i think that's kind of scary we like to deal in absolutes And I could definitely completely understand why after a a horrific event, you know, at least for a while, people are like, okay, I don't want to see Shades of Grey when it comes to this because of what just happened, you know, so I I can understand that too. But then it, a part of me is like, I I get why you don't want to, but should we, you know, it's just, it's a complicated world out there. Um, And DS9 was a complicated show that reflected that.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, with the show being per, very progressive and again, you know, you and I, you know, we're, we're roughly the same age. I mean, give or take a couple of years, but you know, we were younger when this was actually coming out. Like I did not watch the show when I was a kid, you did, and mm-hmm. you might not like stuff's going to go over your head. Like, like we're talking about like with this homelessness and this terrorism stuff among other things. Right. I mean, there's a lot more stuff, but With the show being progressive, I mean, they were also um, taking a pretty big chance with, like, the character of Jadzia and, like, even talking about LGBTQ plus issues at this point Mm -hmm. in the timeline as well.
1: Yeah, um, I I hadn't even thought about that. I guess I hadn't thought about it in a long time. I remember when that episode aired where she, uh, where Jadzia's character Kisses a woman and it's sort of a you know it, it's like yes technically on screen you're seeing two women kiss but she was i think married to this woman or dated this woman as a man because she's trill and so the last host was male and so they had a connection or relationship before she was in a female body so sort of kind of dancing around the issue a little bit. But I I remember when that aired, and I think even when it aired, censors were like, no. You know, I mean, censors are upset about that now. But back then, it was worse. Um, And I I really liked the part where Ira, um, they talked about that issue, and he put a question mark. And he said, I don't want to claim that we tackled this issue when we didn't fully do that. It's like I feel like I pulled a lot of punches and I was too scared to go there, so I'm not going to give myself that credit. And man, I was just like, that—that's impressive. You know, he's got a big personality, and this—this this project is his baby. So for him to like take a step back and say, that's not something I accomplished. I thought that was really cool of him. He, it was really humble. I thought.
0: Yeah, and abs- absolutely You know, it was—it was kind of funny whenever he was in that—that that editing lab or, or room or whatever it was, right? You know, whenever they were mm-hmm. going through the on-screen prompts of, this is what we did, this is what we didn't do, type of thing. And then, like, you know, checking it off on this L-Cars terminal uh, of sorts, right? And <laughs> yeah, th- that, that was great. I loved I loved seeing that. And the inclusion of um, uh, Akuta, um who actually designed the L-Cars, you know, talking about his contribution to, you know, parts of the design of... Of uh, like the terminals and, and other stuff that he did uh, and uh, I'm not uh, I guess kind of like segueing a little bit but like just the set itself like what they say it was um, 80 foot radius like fully functional set
1: like, I never even thought about that but you know on the next generation a lot of times they're in a room they're like on the bridge or they're at you know the sick bay or they're in you know like a tunnel or but it's not like as big as the promenade so i never thought about the fact that they had to make a much bigger set is that that's the set you're talking about right
0: right yeah like you know where yeah uh, like jake and and nog would like kind of hang off the railing yeah 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 that's what i'm talking about
1: yeah that that's amazing i mean it's so big and so colorful and so different um in design and and yeah i never thought about about all that uh the production design on the show was really cool i still wish and you and i have talked about this before i really wish i could have seen um the las vegas experience <laughs> uh i never got to go but they had quark's bar and that was like the closest i could get to getting on the promenade you know so i had always wanted to do that
0: yeah and i was i was actually about to just say that and it's not meant to like you know turn the dagger or anything like that but <laughs> you know after after honestly watching Deep Space Nine and uh, even like reviewing like like YouTube videos of Star Trek The Experience and remembering my, my times there I was like dang man they did a great job of like recreating Quarks and the Promenade like it was really good like from what I like thinking back on it they did a really good job of recreating that entire aesthetic um you know in the the bar and the dining the gift shop area of Star Trek the Experience so it was great it's
1: so cool i love it
0: man man oh man um <laughs> uh,
1: what did you think about when they talked about Dr. Bashir as a character you know you find out in this documentary and you may have heard it before but I mean, they basically kind of wanted him gone um, and fans didn't love him. Well, what was your take on him as a character?
0: So I I thought he was quite annoying in the <laughs> early, early seasons, I did, and- Yeah, I get it. And he wasn't my favorite doctor, but I feel like around the time that we were really starting to get some shifts, like everything changed for me, like about mid season three, honestly. Mhm. And I think that's like when there was like really starting to be some significant changes with Bashir. And then eventually we're getting, you know, the defiant we're getting Cisco promoted to captain. And then, you know, first like season four premiere, we're getting Worf. So all the dynamic was changing. And I feel like it was around that same time that Bashir wasn't as annoying and he was, he was starting to become more likable. And I certainly really liked him by the time the, the series ended in what you leave behind so uh, yeah i don't i mean i can understand being really annoyed with the character for me <laughs> for me he wasn't to the point where it's like kill him off like open the airlock and just <laughs> kick, kick him out like i can't see that with him
1: like, you know what's weird is like they cast this guy Who's, you know, a good looking guy. I mean, he's like a handsome doctor, which you feel like should be a home run. But I think their mistake in him with the earlier seasons was it's okay for a guy to be a little bit cocky. That's fine. You know, he's a handsome doctor, whatever. But they made him like almost desperate. Um, I think they focused way too much on him being in love with Jedzia. It just seems sad, <laughs> and that's—I think that's what made him so irritating. It's like everyone's trying to deal with like real life situations, and he's like, "Why won't Jedzia date me?" And it's like, <laughs> that's not even your job. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. There's bigger stuff going on. I think when they started making his when they started fleshing out his relationship with O'Brien, and when we started getting backstory about him being genetically altered, um, that's when he got interesting, finally. And, you know, he's he's portraying... they, They gave an excuse for why he's so arrogant. He's portraying himself as a certain way because he has a deep secret. You know, that he wasn't born this way and that he was altered to be perfect and you know, he, he doesn't, de- quote-unquote, deserve all the good things that have happened to him, and his parents are holding on to that, and that becomes, like, a moral quandary for the show, you know, did we eke out other people that maybe could have done this job, but I also felt like it was a weird metaphor for, like, you know, somebody that's maybe has a um, a, a disability that gets you know, I guess maybe potentially in the future if you cure that, then what does that mean? And, like, it was really cool. Like, I li- I liked where they went, and that, you know, of course ultimately they're gonna keep him on there. We love him. Um, and I think they made the right choice. But I-, I liked all that stuff with his character. That's when, when they got away from Jadzia, I think that really helped.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I also think that, you know, you see the evolution of of Julian Bashir, Doctor Julian Bashir, with um, you know Chief O'Brien and their friendship, how it goes from like disdain for each other to their best buds, man. They're they're doing like Alamo reenactment together and stuff. I mean, they they've got <laughs> yeah. like their own like you know tabletop gaming type of thing going on too. In in um, was it Chief's Chief's quarters? Yeah, or something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I I seem to remember that. I I got distracted there thinking about how much I disliked O'Brien and Keiko's relationship. <laughs> I do really like Keiko as a character. I think, you know, they they tackled some really tough stuff with them being married but having such different dreams, and that's very painful. And um, but man, that was I hated those episodes. <laughs> I was like, I just can't. I just want them to end it. I can't do it anymore. Um, that was a segue, but yeah.
0: This has, this has this has nothing to do with Deep Space Nine, but you know <laughs> they they get married on Data's day in the Next Generation, and
1: oh, I forgot she was even on that show. Yeah,
0: yeah, they got married on Data's Dang. day, and okay. then the very the very next episode, they're arguing about the food that they're going to eat, and you know, Golly, like
1: it's such a dismal look at marriage. It's like you know, like. It seems terrible, you know, by this show's standards. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. This in the in the fall, I'll have been married for nine years, and <laughs> it's been a great nine years. It hasn't been perfect, but I mean, I think the toothpaste argument and stuff. I mean, that I think every couple's going to have like how you squeeze the toothpaste. Not that we've had that, <laughs> but you know, you're going to have like the, you're going to have dumb arguments when you're married. But like, I think I think what you're saying is is pretty accurate that. It's they they have like a pretty dismal, you know, marriage or at least portrayal of marriage um, more frequently than not throughout. Right, it didn't Next seem Gen like they DK's liked night. each
1: other. <laughs> there wasn't that undercurrent of "but I love you." <laughs> it felt like I'm stuck here with you. <laughs> so it's like I I don't know. I think it was just maybe in the writing, but that was one area that I. It's like maybe they just don't know anybody that's in a great relationship, and so that's why they wrote it that way? I, I don't know, but yeah, I've, I've been married for uh, five years, going on six, and, uh, you know, we've been together for almost, I think it's 14 years now, uh, but yeah, you know, we've definitely argued for sure, but if it was like that, I mean, I'd hop on the next shuttle and get out of there. <laughs> so um <laughs> you know but um but i i really like i i do want to say i really do like the actress that plays keiko she was on the joy luck club um and that's one of my favorite films so i so no hate towards her nice. um hannah Hite, i think is her name that's that's, but, the, do- that's um, the that's, or is that's that the daughter that's the daughter yeah that's the daughter okay keiko o'brien right
0: yes Yes. Okay, I'm
1: searching for her name. I want to acknowledge her now that I've been so crappy. <laughs>
0: what? What? <laughs>
1: it's not her fault. It was the writing. Um, Rosalind Chow. There we go. There we go. There we go. Okay. So
0: there, there was. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about um, the special people, right? Like there was like I think two or three episodes with Julian Bashir being with like these other like augments of sorts. If I'm not not augments, um, like eugenic type augmented people basically and mm-hmm. there's one particular uh, character not that this probably means anything to anyone listening but in the event that you do, here you go uh, the the very sultry, seductive woman that's
1: Oh yeah, I forgot about her. Her name
0: is Hillary Shepard if I'm getting the name right and she plays Divatox on Power Rangers Turbo by the way
1: <laughs> Did not know that.
0: Now you know. And anyone listening that watches or has watched Power Rangers Turbo, she was in Star Trek. So there you go.
1: <laughs>
0: and it had to have been going on about the same time um, from when she was on Power Rangers and when she was on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So.
1: And she was the lady that was like, I mean, she was, it, it was like, she lives on Indiana Jones planet or something where she's like scrappy and like committing crimes and stealing stuff and jumping all over the galaxy that lady right um or am i think of a different person different character that might
0: be a different character no she was like the one that was always like laying seductively like on a couch in a holding room basically
1: yeah but she was like a criminal right
0: were they all criminals? You know what? Let's just let, let's know. just move on before we, you know,
1: I'm going too deep. Yeah. Let's 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 back up. Let's Let's not <laughs> let's not put
0: the the final nail in each other's coffin. How about that,
1: huh? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh boy.
0: So, you know, we've we've talked about, you know, some of the stuff like with Avery. We've talked about concepts for season 8 and a whole slew of other things. Did you did you know about the um, these special uh, volunteer rehearsals that were at Armin Shimmerin's house for, I guess, Ferengi episodes is kind of what I was picking up on.
1: I did not know that, but all the Ferengi episodes were some of my favorites. I loved the chemistry between all those characters and looked forward to seeing them. And hearing about that just makes it even sweeter. It's just wonderful.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One thing um one thing I wanted to mention and this is kind of a um maybe a little foreshadowing to a, an episode we'll be having in the near future talking about Star Trek Enterprise, but I was talking about like I didn't want to open the airlock and just kick Bashir out. There is a character in Star Trek that I do want to do that to though. And that's <laughs> and that's Malcolm Reed from Star Trek Enterprise for anyone that's ever seen that.
1: <laughs> like <laughs> I am not familiar with that character, but I haven't seen a ton of Enterprise. That's probably like the one show that I haven't seen a ton of.
0: Okay. He was the tactical officer, and mm-hmm. I, I hoped and prayed every week that he would die because of how annoying he was. And he never died.
1: <laughs> as a kid I really did not like looks on a Troy, but as an adult I straight up love her. Okay. <laughs> So she was my character like that back then.
0: Well, and and we were talking about this too in in the first um, first time you were on the show. Yeah, that's right. With like the growth that she has, especially in Deep Space Nine, like with the, the mm-hmm. moment, the moments that she has with Odo. I mean, we start to, yeah. we start to see some growth in Next Gen, but it's it's more fully realized when we're when we're in Deep Space Nine.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and because of this show, I learned a lot about her. You know, I read about her, you know, being Gene Roddenberry's wife and the voice of the computer. And I, I really, you know, grew to appreciate her as a person and as an actress and as the character she portrayed. So, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. They did a great job writing her character. Where they failed Keiko, they succeeded with Luxana Troy. <laughs>
0: Man. Well, uh, we've been bebopping and bouncing around um, talking about about this documentary. Has there been anything that we haven't touched on that we probably should touch on or that you want to touch on?
1: Um, I do want to mention uh, Reneo Bergenois because he recently passed away and you know his passing is sort of almost up there with. Leonard Nimoy, to be honest. Uh, He was my favorite character from the show. Because of the show, I went back and watched a ton of stuff he was in, including Benson, and he was just a great, funny actor, and seemed like an extremely kind person. I met him twice. Um, I got pictures with him, and just have followed his career, and just, yeah, super fan, so... Um, you know, anytime he came up on the screen, I was just like, oh, oh no, you know, Mm -hmm. here come the tears. Um, but he had a great career and he seemed emotional when he talked about what this character did for him because, you know, a lot of his roles were comedic and that's great. I mean, he was funny, but he kind of liked that this eclipsed, uh, the Benson character since he was, that character was such an idiot.
0: (laughs) And see, I haven't, I haven't seen Benson. I mean, I can read Wikipedia and IMDb all I want. Yeah. You know, but uh, I mean, Deep Space Nine is like, going to be the main thing that I know him from, and then of mm-hmm. course, Little Mermaid. He's you know voice. Yep,
1: the chef on the Little Mermaid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The uh, skeleton in the Last Unicorn, and in Benson, he played like okay, so Benson was like a spinoff of the show Soap and Benson was the butler from that show so he, he goes to a new family or works for a new family and uh, Renee plays the, the, the dad on that show, I guess the person employing him and he's just a very dumb, rich person um, and so Benson usually gets kind of the last laugh. If, if you ever watched like uh, Fresh Prince he was kind of like the butler on that show.
0: Oh he's like Jeffrey then
1: <laughs> Yeah he's like Jeffrey he's like cutting wit And always making fun of them, and they kind of don't seem to realize that that kind of vibe. Gotcha. So that's that's kind of how the show was. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, yeah, and you know, seeing watching this again, this is the the third time that I've watched uh, uh, this particular documentary, and seeing you know not only Renee but also seeing Aaron Eisenberg, I was getting like, ah, man, and man, like. I know just them not being here and i had said before that i really wish that i would have been able to meet aaron and you know also renee uh, at a convention or, or some other public event and you know don't have that opportunity anymore so for those of you that have you know i envy you that you're able to meet these giants basically
1: yeah i had known about him that you know he had uh that he had had like, a, a kidney transplant, and that uh, it, it stunted his growth. Like, I, I remember reading that a long time ago. I just checked it real quick just to make sure I was saying that right. Um, and I have to say, like, even in this documentary, he, he definitely looked, he looked sick. You know, I you can tell something is wrong, and so it's just so tragic that he passed away so soon after that. That's just really sad. And when he, he got so choked up talking about how much the show meant to him and um, I really like the character that he played, Nog. Um, I had totally forgotten about when he loses his leg. And he talked about, you know, how vets would, you know, uh, that had lost legs and uh, would come up to him and, you know, tell him how much that episode meant to them. Um, I, I was thinking that, a lot of times in science fiction, when somebody loses a limb, it's like they can't wait to put like a robot arm on them or hand or legs, and it's like, Whoop, he's back to normal. Do you do you feel that way about a lot of shows? Like it's like, you know, like Iron Man or something like that. It's like immediately they get their functionality back.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, um, like look at Star Wars, right? You I mean you look yeah. at yeah Empire Strikes Back or or even it, Attack of right. the Clones. Like it's like, see ya, there goes your hand. And I
1: think in some ways it undercuts what a horrible loss that is for people that actually go through that. And so I think with Nog's character, like, you know, you could almost say like, well, why didn't they just fix it in the moment and we don't have to see all that. But it's like they they made that character deal with it and, and emotionally wrestle with that. You know, it is like a like a death um, when, when people lose a limb and it's a very serious topic. And so to hear that, you know, people that uh, have, have lost a limb reached out to him and said, you know, this was really important to me. I thought that was really touching because, yeah, I think it's really cool that, that, they, that they went there. Um, like with so many other things on the show, they, they decided to go ahead and explore something difficult. And, and I commend them for that.
0: Yeah, and, and not only that, like you were talking about like how sci-fi shows or just shows in general... You lose a limb, hand, arm, leg, whatever, and it's like, Shazam, there you go, brand new whatever <laughs> that you lost, and they kind of did that in It's Only a Paper Moon, a fantastic episode that we're talking about, and I mean, they did that, and they but they were saying that even though he's got this fully functional prosthetic right now, or he's lost his leg from, from the conflict that he was in, it was all in his head. You know, like this this phantom pain, and this phantom pain is something that people deal with and, and struggle with um, that are that are amputees. It's a very real thing for them. And but but like to your to your point, the show, the writers, the the showrunner, all that stuff, they made him wrestle with this mental battle that he was dealing with, while still respect like still respecting. Um, like real people that have to deal with this day in and day out.
1: Yeah, I think I thought that was really powerful. I wish I saw that more, you know, in in shows like that. It's like if you want to have a hero that people can relate to, like that would be a good that would be a good angle to go, you know, somebody struggling and overcoming something like that, instead of just going like, oh, now they have robot hands and it shoot they shoot fire or something, not specifically drawing an analogy to a specific character but just saying like you know it, it, it's like sometimes it's better to go ahead and explore it from that angle and think about people that might actually be affected by that um, but but yeah like I, I just I thought that was so cool I mean as an actor I'm sh- that's that's gotta be so special to know that you've touched people's lives like that um, and you could tell it definitely touched him
0: oh yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and and I think that is part of the reason. Like that is such a powerful episode. Like that, um, the visitor, where we really see this profound emotional, and mental connection that spans like a lifetime, like an alternate lifetime more or less, for Jake and and Cisco, right? Um, oh yeah. You know, like where where he dies in like some kind of warp core issue on a ship, and then. We also have um, Far Beyond the Stars, which is, I think, universally accepted as, and I might be going a little far with that, but universally accepted as probably one of, if not the best episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine that Avery Brooks himself directed. And I think, what were they saying? Um, When he has his breakdown, when his character has this breakdown, at the end, um, Avery had been talking to uh, people that I think he called it like this God moment. Like when we're doing acting, something about like God shows up or something. Do you know do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like I'm fumbling over my Absolutely. words. Absolutely.
1: No, no. You're 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 right. It's that um, you know, Nana Visitor mentioned that he couldn't come out of it. And he said I th- I think Avery Brooks was saying like sometimes you have to let the moment just happen. Sit with it. Be there. Um, let it go where it's gonna go. Um and I never thought about the fact that that show, that episode, I took for granted what they were trying to say with it. You know, um, they mentioned that this was right around the time Rodney King happened. um, So it was extremely timely. And, you know, the the show runners made the decision, like, let's not only do we tell this story that's specifically about Black America, but let's have Avery Books direct it. Um, they didn't have to do that. He didn't ask them. They asked him. They were like, this is your job. Like, you need to be the one speaking about this. And then when he's in that scene where he's breaking down, I couldn't help but feel like, you know, he was carrying the emotion, the the weight of what they were trying to talk about in that moment of like, you think about it, it's, you know, a couple hundred years of emotion. So I, I just thought, wow, that. That's not something that I knew before I saw the behind the scenes about that, you know. Again, taking um, a moment to to sort of push the envelope and explore stuff that's difficult. I mean, I feel like this entire episode, I don't know if you've noticed, but I keep like worrying how I'm phrasing something or I'm, I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. And uh, it's because we're talking about this show that tackles so many difficult things. But I feel that, you know, we should we should go ahead and talk about them um and so i I like that it makes us go there and, and to experience and talk about those things but yeah that episode was one of my favorites when i was younger and i think i was somewhat aware of what it was talking about but not really um I just enjoyed it because I thought it was like a period piece and I, on a surface level, kind of understood what was going on. Um, but certainly as I get older, I'm like, wow, you know, that was, a, that was a big episode, a big emotional episode.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's it was... This probably isn't the best way to to talk about it, but <clears throat> that particular episode, you know, in, in that moment, right, where we're... Uh, Benny is is breaking down right so Cisco's like alter ego character in this 1950s scene when he's breaking down it's like a train wreck to a certain extent like you can't help but watch like you don't want to watch but you do want to watch I mean and I'm not I'm in no way putting that scene down because it was a profoundly powerful scene to to watch and you could feel it you could just feel it and you know I'm not I'm not you know a a full-time actor but I've done my my share of acting and to get to that point man you have to like go to a very deep place and that's something that can be very scary like if you're a method actor because method actors get they 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 actually want to fully immerse themselves in who their character is and I don't think that's what Avery Brooks was doing but it was very it was towing that line man and
1: mm-hmm. it, it was it was uh disturbing I mean very. I'll just say it like it's 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 hard to watch um but important to that episode and just like yeah I mean he should have like won a Grammy for that like it was or not a Grammy
0: an Emmy am I
1: saying that right an, an, an Emmy yeah like an mean, Emmy, Emmy or
0: <laughs> An Emmy, you or or some other You know, he could still win a Grammy
1: word. too for for singing, but uh, I mean, but yeah, an yeah. Emmy is what I meant to say, or a Golden Globe,
0: yeah. yeah, or a or a Saturn Award, or a Hugo Award, or something, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> something give this man an award, exactly. Yeah, it was really good.
0: Man, man, oh man! There's there's so many <laughs> there's so many there's so many good moments with this show, and you know. I guess like one of the the final pieces, or maybe one of the, the final pieces to kind of talk about before we start to, you know, dock the ship, um, is, you know, we we know that that uh, Terry Farrell's um, character of Zia Dax um, was on the show for six seasons.
1: Um, mm, I'm glad you're mentioning this. I was going to bring it up if yeah. we <laughs> didn't, so go ahead.
0: And that she was on the show for six seasons, um, main cast, right? And she was more or less fresh out of, of acting school at this point. Mm-hmm. And she's really struggled with the relationship, this kinship that she was supposed to have with the Cisco character. Dax and Sisko were had known each other when Dax was still a dude, like a really old guy of Curzon. And that's where this whole nickname of old man comes on. And she approaches him and says, look, man, look, look, Avery, like, you're really intense and I can't handle it. And then that like tweaks some things. But even more than that, like she was for early early on and even through probably most of the show, she was the reason I kept watching Deep Space Nine, to be honest with you. And
1: Hmm, that's interesting.
0: I I like I did like the rest of the characters. She was like the main, main thing for me to keep coming back. Oh, that's awesome so it it wrecked me when i saw her her character get killed off and to hear the heartache Mm -hmm. in this documentary about you know the reason why she left like i said it was heartbreaking you know because she didn't it was about like you don't really value me if you're just saying take it or leave it basically
1: Yeah, I remember when this happened. I mean, when I was watching the show, I collected, you know, like the magazines and read stuff online and, you know, wherever I could get it. And I knew that there was tension. I knew that her departure wasn't super happy. um, And that she was basically the way that they spun it back then was like, oh, she thinks she's going to go on this other show and become a big star. And then that didn't happen and like kind of negative towards her and um so getting to hear it from her perspective yeah you can you you definitely get the sense that it's not totally resolved even in this documentary um and you know, who knows? I I, I kept thinking, hearing from different actors, like, even Renee Auberginois was like, she didn't know how to act before she came, and she was too green, and blah blah blah, and she got so much better by the end. It did seem like there was an atmosphere of people sort of uh, not realizing her potential, or yeah, just like, not not valuing her the way that maybe she should have been. Mm -hmm. Um... Yeah, and and, and I think... I don't know exactly why that was. You know, like, I I hear what people are saying, but I never saw that reflected in her performance. Uh, Like you're saying, I think she was a very well-liked character. But it sounds like behind the scenes, she was not valued at the same level like Nana Visitor was. Um, And so, yeah, they gave her an offer, and it was for not that much, and she basically was like you're kind of kicking me out the door. And so she left, and then everybody turn around, turned around and went, what, you're leaving? We didn't want you to go. And it's really hard to tell, like, what they were actually thinking. Is that true? Or is that something nice you say? Like, oh, well, we didn't actually think you'd leave. You know, it's like hard to tell. There was a lot of tension in that part of the documentary. And I really feel like it's something we'll never really know, like, what actually happened. Is that is that the sense that you got? Yeah,
0: and. I don't know if it was just like how I was hearing them talk about this when they were all in that big old cozy you know room with like the the long couches and stuff but I couldn't tell if she was addressing like the cast if she was yeah or if she was addressing <laughs> Ira or 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 if it was the collective in that room right or
1: like above Ira yeah it was like she's upset but she's not coming out and saying exactly who, and and it was super awkward. It felt like everybody knew who she was talking about except the audience. <laughs> um, but, hey, really brave of the documentary to go there, right? Like, they didn't take that part out. No, they didn't. I mean, they they included her, and they kept that in, and maybe that speaks to the show about dealing with conflict, right? Like, I don't know. Like, they... It, it was definitely a, a tough moment, and and maybe it is sort of like a... Maybe not as clear of an acknowledgement as we would love, but it seems like they were acknowledging, you know what? You know, in hindsight, we we didn't value you the way we should have. I mean, clearly, we didn't make it clear enough. Yeah. Because you left. Yeah. And I think that that happens. You know, that even happens, like, at regular jobs, right? Where somebody quits and everybody goes, what? Why'd they quit? And it's like, and they say, like, I did not feel appreciated here and I looked for a better opportunity. Like, that happens, so, it makes sense that it would happen on a TV set, too. <laughs>
0: yeah, and, and you could you could hear the heartbreak of her talking about, like, why'd you have to kill me off? Like, I didn't want you to kill me off. I didn't...
1: Yeah, like, they could have easily made it to where she could have come back. Like, <laughs> they didn't have to kill her. Yeah,
0: send her off to Starfleet Medical with Crusher, right?
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I never even thought about that. You know, back when the show happened, when she died... I kind of, you know, like in a lot of shows, characters will get killed off um, for various reasons. So I just thought, oh yeah, if you quit a show, they have to kill you. Like I, that's what I thought. But then in hindsight, it's like, yeah, that's not true. They could have easily come up with something else. Now, I did like Esri Dax. It took me a while, but I do like her. So I'm torn in that way. And it is a really easy entry point because you can just be like, look, they're back but there's someone else like i kind of understand what they were thinking but then yeah from her perspective i mean that is rough it's like goodbye and also you're dead to us Mm -hmm. literally like wow you know just not something i thought about when i saw the show originally Mm
0: -hmm. and i didn't i mean i wasn't crazy about esri when she came in in season seven
1: uh, Me neither. Not at first, anyway. <laughs> well, I felt
0: I felt like there was it was becoming the Esri show, like with the stories. But
1: <laughs> they were very enchanted with her. That's true. Well,
0: I mean, like it's a new character, so they're gonna eat that up as writers, right? Because you get to write.
1: Oh yeah, there's so much for her to interact with all the other actors, mm-hmm. and yeah, no, I agree with you.
0: But <clears throat> you know, like we ha- we had, Worf come in uh, season four premiere we we talked about that for just a moment earlier and we see this this romantic evolution between Jadzia Dax and Worf and it culminates in their wedding um, early to mid season six if I'm not mistaken
1: yeah that sounds right
0: if not if it wasn't then I think it was like very late season five but but still like It was a beautiful wedding and I loved I loved how like their relationship progressed I thought
1: yeah it was a great chemistry like I loved it yeah totally
0: and it wasn't just it wasn't just their chemistry like the writers we we also see in this documentary that the writers weren't intentionally writing a romance for even Odo and Kira like it was just how they were were working the room and how they were acting in a scene that gave them something to work with like they were they were the ones that were dictating like these folks are going to have a relationship basically just like just like Jadzia and Worf's characters did from the basically the time Worf came on board in the season four premiere moving forward Mm you know
1: yeah absolutely
0: so that that was pretty cool and um I didn't mind having Worf on the show um But I also understand that they felt like ratings were slipping. So let's throw in a character from Next Gen because everyone loves Next Gen. And, oh, by the way, they're sick of us being on a space station that just spins around really slowly. So let's give them a ship. Because (laughs) people like ships.
1: Yeah, so I think we talked about this the last time we talked about Deep Space Nine. But they were definitely doing that on both shows. I think, you know there were a lot of weaknesses to the strategy of having two star treks on two star trek series on at the same time so you had ds9 and voyager and on ds9 you're right they brought wharf in and then on voyager they were like let's have the rock on here and then let's have seven of nine like it it felt like star trek was like dying and they were like desperate to revive it and so when Worf first came on i mean i was happy to see Worf because who doesn't love Worf? But I was also c- concerned. I was like, you know, now we've lost. Uh, and then later when we lost Jadzia too, I was like, oh gosh, you know, things are, they're going south. I, I didn't think it was going to make it to a seventh season, to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it did. We got seven. Thank God. We got seven <laughs> seasons out of all, you know, 90s era Trek, basically. So mm-hmm. so how cool is that, right? <laughs> very, very so we have muddled our way through this documentary (laughs) talking about and just picking apart examining kind of just looking at these different pieces of this wonderful documentary so for if you were to i guess we've, we've already summed it up but if you were to you know kind of tell someone like or help someone understand why they should watch this documentary what would you what would you say to him?
1: Well, I, I was actually pitching this to my friend Kara, who is the original Star Trek fan uh, in, in my life. She you know, she was kind of what got me into Star Trek, but she was more of an original series person and slowly grew to like DS9 um, quite a bit. And I was telling her to watch this documentary and I was saying, you know there, there were so many timely issues this show tackled and we didn't even realize it. Um, and there's just so much behind the scenes of this show, so much passion and love into this project that spans seven years. And I think, you know, if you have any interest at all in the show, you should definitely watch this documentary, you know, um, because there's just more there and it's comforting and it's fun. It's a little painful. It's sad, but it's all, all of it, you know, take it all in. Um, I, I definitely recommend it.
0: Okay. Absolutely. So there's, for those of y'all listening, there is so much more to to this documentary than what we've even been able to really talk about. Like, it's just, it's worthy of an experience. And uh, Lisa, did you, did you actually buy like the DVD or the Blu-ray or did you stream it somewhere?
1: I streamed it. I rented it. um, I believe on Amazon. Okay. It's either Amazon or iTunes, but you can rent it or buy it. Um and yeah, I rented it. Yeah, Okay. I should buy it though. I should buy like the Blu-ray.
0: Yeah, I bought the I bought the Blu-ray and um, it hangs out in the rest of my Star Trek collection. <laughs> and um, I got mine on like I think it was Amazon or something like that for like somewhere in like the fifteen to twenty dollar range to own it.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you know when I told you earlier, a part of me was nervous to see it. I think that may have been why I didn't buy it. Um, but I, I, after watching it, I mean, I know I'm going to revisit it, so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm so glad that you, you gave it a chance, you know, that you were able to, um, that you were able, you're able and willing to, to engage in that, in that material again. Cause I know that, you know, you were saying that Deep Space Nine had a very emotional impact on you and you didn't want to, to revisit that. So.
1: Yeah. It's particularly the ending because I don't know what it is about that last season just so much happens, and yeah, it was just sad to say goodbye, um, and so revisiting that feeling, I think, was what I was most, you know, upset by. I've rewatched several episodes, I usually don't watch the last ones, um, but yeah, I am too, because I think that there was just so much to say, and so many things I didn't know, and I mean, yeah, it was, it was, it was just like, very fun to go back and and explore all these ideas and themes and like i said this whole time we've talked i fumbled over my words and been nervous but i'm still glad that i talked about all those things um so yeah i'm I'm glad i overcame it too
0: and everything you talked about that is what you are leaving behind for this episode
1: this is what i leave behind (laughs) (laughs) but may revisit
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You can, you are always, always welcome here, um, roaming around either Lone Star Station or buzzing around with, with me on the USS Vigilant, so always happy to have you here, Commander. And are there any, um, like, final, final words that you'd like to share with, with listeners about Star Trek or this documentary in general?
1: Um... You talked earlier about, you know, an optimistic future, and we've talked about that a few times. Um, I think that is always what appealed to me about Star Trek, even though I picked the darkest Star Trek. Um, I believe that this portrayed an optimistic viewpoint, um, and that all the Star Trek series do, and it's something that I think I believe as well, even though I tend to be a little more, you know, Realist, whatever you want to call it. Um, But I, I love the idea of everybody coming together and finding common ground and things improving. So I think there's just so many great episodes of Star Trek. I think there's so many great series. It just keeps going. And I'm glad that the franchise has existed to this point and beyond. And I highly recommend if you're on the fence or you've ever thought about being a Trekkie, you know, dive in because you're you're gonna finally understand why people are so crazy about it you know before i got into it i was like these people need to get a life um they they're too obsessed with it but once you're in you're you're all in so come on in the water's fine
0: yeah buddy (laughs) (laughs) well um again thank you for for stopping by and talking about this documentary uh, with me and you know, with these with these fantastic listeners. Uh, so I was talking about this at the beginning. Uh, if people want to check out your podcast or just say hey and connect with you, how can they do that?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Um, <laughs> you can find me. I'm on. I have a pretty big presence on Twitter. You can find me at iltm podcast. I've also got an Instagram as well. I love that movie podcast. We've also got a closed Facebook group uh, where movie lovers can discuss their favorite films judgment-free, and I'm on Discord as well. Uh, And then the podcast you can find on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, pretty much everywhere you find podcasts. Uh, Just search I Love That Movie. And, you know, if if this appeals to you, come on the show and let's talk about a movie. If you're worried that you'll come across as an intense fan, well, you've just heard me for however long we've been talking about this, almost two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so that you can't scare me off. So come on and talk about a movie. And Chase, you've been on there, too. Um, so you know listen to your episodes as well you're a great guest and hope to have you back so yeah
0: yeah i'd love i'd love to come back and talk something i don't know what you want me to talk but i had <laughs> such a blast talking about my absolute favorite movie that i've seen hundreds of times and you know that's star trek first contact so
1: yes yeah.
0: you, you were such a lovely host and i was so happy to be on on that episode with you on your podcast
1: I mean, I, I think I told you last time that's like my favorite Star Trek movie. So, I mean, uh, definitely of TNG. And yeah, that was just such a joy to talk about. I highly recommend people check that episode out. Um, and yeah, and come back anytime. You can talk Trek. Remember, the guest chooses the movie, so you'll have to you'll have to think of something.
0: Unless someone's already chosen the movie that I want to talk about. <laughs> that's true. About.
1: That's true. That does happen sometimes.
0: <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, we're going to have to... Um to call it so um anyways guys um i want to thank each and every one of you that have been listening today uh remember that we would love to hear you know your take on some of this stuff um like how you're reacting to like some of the maybe the, some of the stuff that we're talking about um or maybe you have a story that's similar to to lisa's where you had like a friend kind of get you into star trek or or something like that, a family member. Uh, we'd love to hear about that um, as we talk about stuff in like uh, about hailing frequencies. So remember to open up hailing frequencies and that you can get in contact with us by um, uh, entering in coordinates trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice only transmission to 817 752 4757. That's 817 752 4757. Remember, there's a three minute time limit. And your comments, um, your opinions, whatever it might be, may be used on a future episode of These Are The Voyages, TRTV News, or Engage. And, um, you know, if you just want to send in a letter, a data pad, some gold press, latinum, you know, anything like that, (laughs) um, you can also, um, you know, use a subspace communication buoy, and you can send it that way uh, by sending it to the Lone Star Station, P.O. Box 2455. Azle, texas 76098 guys i want to thank you again for listening if you want to uh, continue supporting the show certainly listen to it um, tell your friends about it follow us on all the stuff we're on all the socials Uh, we're trtvpod on instagram twitter and facebook we have a page and a group conversation continues in all those places and uh, make sure you subscribe And, you know, if you subscribe and comment and like this stuff, it helps people find our show easier and better, and we can share the love of Star Trek together. So uh, with that, um, I want to bid you all a very fond farewell uh, as we leave this behind us for today. And as always, I want you to remember to always bold to go and make it so.